This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast today on the pod. With BC's minimum wage tied to the cost of inflation, workers could see an increase of more than a dollar an hour. Employers want Victoria to slow down. Plus, how deep is foreign interference in Canadian politics? A campaign insider joins us to discuss China's attempt to meddle in our democracy. And what should the province do with its surplus? With 10 days left in the fiscal year and $2 billion left unspent, where should the money go? And the great letdown. Why was day one of the Nordstrom liquidation sales such a dud? Producers Stephen and Ryan roam the aisles looking for deals. That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Let's look at our top story of the day. Employers and employees across BC are waiting to see what Victoria does when it comes to the minimum wage. How much will it go up by? Now, BC's minimum wage increases usually around June 1st each year, and the last increase in 2022 brought our minimum wage up to $15.65. Now, last year's raise was, of course, tied to the inflation rate. The inflation rate in 2021 is 2.8%. Uh, the province, of course, continues to tie the increase to the rate of inflation, but as we all know, in in uh, 2022, it was a significant in- increase, 6.6%. in the inflation rate. That means minimum wage this year could go up by more than a dollar per hour, so past $16 uh, uh, per hour. Now, the issue, of course, is causing concern for many small business owners. If the increase goes ahead, they'll be paying $4 an hour more than just six years ago, so a significant increase for many small businesses. Joining me now to talk about this potential increase is Emily Boston. She's a policy analyst for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business based here in British Columbia. Emily, thank you for joining us. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me out today. I'm happy to be here with you. And also thanks for outlining some of those um, surprising increases that could be hitting small businesses shortly. Yeah, I wanted to sort of simplify it so we all have a general sense of where we're going. I know you're the the policy head there at CFIB, so you know this stuff inside out. So do you support the idea of minimum wage going up by 6.6% based on the present uh, rules that we have? So when we look at minimum wage increases, we need to think about how small business owners are going to be able to absorb this cost. Um, So currently, they're already struggling with so many challenges. 19% of them are at risk of closure, and the average BC business has $84,000 in pandemic debt. Um, so when we look at those uh, cost burdens that they're struggling with, it's it's alarming to think of what new cost increases would do. Um, so we're encouraging the minimum wage to be capped at a 3% increase so that they're not unduly burdened. And, and where does that 3% come from? Um, so that the 3% increase um, would put the minimum wage to about $16.20. So that is lower than the minimum wage. But if we were to attach the uh, increase to the 2022 inflation rate, rate, Mm -hmm. that would be raised well above the federal minimum wage um, at Mm -hmm. $16.65. So we're encouraging that uh, 3% increase so that small businesses um, will be able to uh, uh, absorb it. Does your organization fundamentally uh, support the idea of tying minimum wage to the cost of inflation, these yearly increases that will be based on the previous year's inflation rate? Uh, 
No, in this circumstance, we are um, encouraging a cap at 3%. Um, Small business owners are the backbone of our communities. And as I explained, they are currently suffering under many labor market costs. um, And they already have had many costs introduced this year. Um, These new costs include things like raising the employer health tax, the addition of five paid sick days, as well as raised WorkSafe BC premiums and a new statutory holiday this year. Um, So when we look at all of those costs that they are already taking on, um, raising the minimum wage uh, attached to inflation would be disastrous. Uh, The issue of the 19% of small business owners are nearing, uh, could potentially be shutting down. Um, This is based on a survey your organization has done recently? Yes, this is. This is from our November survey. Uh, the overall challenge, like people have always said, or not always said, but certainly many have felt that, look, we have not raised minimum wage um, in a um, in an aggressive way in the past. It's been too slow uh, to deal with the challenges people have in living in a major city like Vancouver, uh, and that this is the right policy. So even if this year, let's say, you know, this year's a, uh, 6.6% is quite a large increase, and I understand that. But moving forward, if they are, if inflation does go up by two and a half, three percent, three and a half percent, does your organization support the idea of keeping the link to inflation? We want minimum wage to be raised based on what small business owners can accommodate for. Um, and we recognize that it is a very difficult time for residents as well. Costs are high for everybody. Um, but there are many ways to address these high costs that um, don't include raising the minimum wage past this 3% cap. Um, and this can include things such as raising, raising the threshold of the basic personal amount or offering more affordable housing options for residents. Uh, what do you say to those who say, look, a minimum wage is nothing. Uh, the living wage is closer to $24 an hour in this city of Vancouver to actually be able to afford the basics, uh, that this should, the 6.6% should just go forward based on that. I mean, wage is a wage. People can decide how they spend the money. It shouldn't be based on whether or not we have enough transit or whatever other programs that you're recommending. The focus has to be on people's core wages because they have not gone up significantly enough to deal with not only inflation, but generally the cost of living. And it's one of the reasons we're dealing with inequality in our society is that we're not dealing with the simple issue of wages. There has been wage wage stagnation in our society, that we have to continue to do what we're doing, which is, of course, linking it to inflation. Well, the current minimum wage is fifteen dollars and sixty-five cents, but mm-hmm. it's worth it to note that the out the average hourly wage in BC is actually twenty-nine dollars. So this indicates that there's a very tight labor mar- labor market that's already dictating wages. I'm going to put that into perspective. The current um, hourly wage in the hospitality sector is $18. So although the minimum wage stipulates um, a little over $16, mm-hmm. um, there or almost $16, sorry, mm-hmm. um, it definitely is reflective that most people in BC are uh, making well above that minimum wage. Now, have you had any co- uh, uh, consultation with the provincial government in regards to your organization's concerns, small business concerns, in regards to raising it based on 6.6% increase? And have you heard anything from them? So we have convened um, with them, and we're asking them specifically um, for notice. So, again, we're asking for just a 3% uh, increase cap, but it's very important that they're clear about their intentions to raise the minimum wage um, so that small businesses, have, small businesses have time to accommodate for this adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think that this 3% is a reasonable ask, given the cost increases that we've discussed earlier that small businesses are already struggling with. Emily, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it.
Thank you so much for having me. I hope you have a great day. After weeks of resistance, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's office said today that his chief of staff, Katie Telford, will testify about foreign election interference before a committee that has been studying the issue for many months. This, of course, comes days after CISA's called foreign interference activities by the Chinese government the greatest strategic threat to national security. Uh, CISA said that the threat doesn't come from the Chinese population, but the Chinese Communist Party, uh, and they deploy many strategies uh, looking for geopolitical gains on the economy, technology, politics, and on the military front uh, as well. Now, CSIS over the last few weeks has alleged a Chinese government's uh, interference campaign included funding a clandestine network of at least 11 federal candidates, which ran in the 2019 election. Ken Chu, uh, a former conservative MP from Richmond, has been on this show many times, uh, has said publicly that he was targeted by the Chinese consulate here in Vancouver, and that law led to the loss for him losing his seat uh, in Richmond during the last federal election. And today we also learned that CSIS briefed the Ontario Premier's Chief of Staff after allegations of election interference by China were tied to a member of his own caucus. So there's lots to talk about when it comes to foreign interference. There's also allegation that China's Consul General in Vancouver looked for suitable candidates to groom and then use as proxies in diaspora community organizations and try to help them get elected. Well, our next guest has witnessed the problem uh, grow here in Canadian politics. He's a campaign insider who has been in, uh, involved in campaigns municipally, provincially, and federally uh, here in Canada. Kareem Alam is a principal at Fairview Strategy. He's a former chief of staff to Mayor Ken Sim. He's a campaign manager for uh, ABC Vancouver as well, or was, and for the Kevin Falcon leadership run for the BC Liberal uh, Party. He's also a former senior BC advisor for the Aaron O'Toole campaign. Kareem, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Josh. So lots to talk about here. First and foremost, how entrenched do you think the uh, Chinese Communist Party is when it comes to meddling in BC politics? I think the problem's growing. Uh, It's definitely been growing over the course of the past decade. Uh, But to answer that question, we must understand the full context of, of, of the question. There's acceptable interference and then there's unacceptable interference. So, for example, uh, if a P- Pennsylvania senator comes out and says we should stop buying auto parts from Canada and we should start buying made-in-America only auto parts, the Canadian ambassador will get on the Sunday talk shows and talk up the importance of free trade. We'll go on the Chamber of Commerce circuit and might start talking about how the senator's viewpoint is wrong. And then in the next election maybe because of all this attention the senator is getting, he loses the election. That's viewed as acceptable uh, interference, uh, acceptable participation. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the clandestine uh, stuff that we've got to be really, really worried about. And the real big question that we've got to ask ourselves here in Canada is, who is that arbiter that decides what's acceptable behavior and what's not acceptable behavior? Mm -hmm. Because in the United States, you have Homeland Security, you have the CIA, you have the NSA, you have the FBI. And here in Canada... We don't really have an agency who's fundamentally empowered to fully investigate from beginning to end any clandestine attempts to influence elections or public policymaking. So CSIS can collect the information, but it can't handle, hand it to the, uh, the, the RCMP. Uh, and federal intelligence sometimes isn't shared with provincial intelligence. So it's, it's, it's the way we've set up our national security apparatus. Yes. In 1981, we had the McDonald Commission, which recommended the creation of CSIS. The legislative mandate that CSIS has is just to gather information. So you ask 
someone, okay, well, what does CSIS do once it gets this information? And the answer is they turn it over to the RCMP. And the RCMP intelligence unit then goes in and investigates. But the RCMP intelligence unit doesn't have the same resources that CSIS does to gather the information. We probably need at least one or maybe two integrated agency, one for domestic, one for foreign. But that's what the ultimate goal of this drama that we are seeing in Ottawa play out isn't should Justin Trudeau be blamed for this or that. It should be we have new legislation with teeth that empowers an agency in Canada to actually be able to follow through with an investigation and get a conviction uh, uh, if that uh, evidence is, 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 is warranted. Now, we, we've heard in the introduction, as I was saying, there, uh, according to CSIS, there were at least 11 federal candidates running in the, last, uh, in the 2019 election that were directly or indirectly supported by the, the Chinese government. Um, how does vetting work in a political party? Is, in, is that part of the problem as well then? This is a huge part of the problem. So if I'm running the campaign for ABC or the BC Liberal Party or the Conservative Party and I'm not entirely sure about a candidate or a staff person or a volunteer, um, I can't pick up the phone and call CSIS and vet them. I can call the RCMP and vet someone on a criminal background check. And so those protocols are already in place with political parties and, 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 and the RCMP. But for CSIS, they're not allowed to, they're legally bound to not be able to report on any Canadian citizen. So there is no ability for them to share information back with us. But that doesn't just go for political parties. That also extends to government as well, too. You can spend 35 years as a civil servant in the BCAG ministry and never be vetted once. You could be handling sensitive documents on international money laundering. And there's no vetting of provincial bureaucrats. There's no vetting of municipal bureaucrats at all either. Hmm. Uh, so, in, 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 and I always view that political parties are actually volunteer organizations at the end of the day. That's right. They'll have some full-time employees, but not a lot. I mean, they do not have the resources, I would think, to, to do any of this real deep vetting that is required. Yeah, when we think of the Liberal Party of Canada, the Conservative Party of Canada, it's probably, what, 15, 20 full-time staff, half of which are under the age of 30. Uh, so people that are pretty new in their careers. Um, so the resources necessarily aren't there, um, and they never will be there. The only tool a political party really has to defend itself is a Google search when it comes to foreign intelligence. That's pretty scary. It, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it is, and it, it's challenging and it's troubling too. But when an issue arises and you're a campaign manager or you're a chief of staff um, and you're not sure if you're supposed to go to a meeting or not, um, uh, you're, you're in this position where you either have to make a decision to say, okay, well, we're not going to meet with that group or we are. Um, and you don't have an idea if that answer is the right one or the wrong one. And mm-hmm. there's got to be a protocol, uh, in place and there's got to be an agency empowered to be able to transfer that information. So the right decision-making can be, can mm-hmm. be done. Uh, we, Kennedy Stewart was on this morning with my colleague, Mike Smith, and uh, he uh, mentioned something that I was aware of last year. Uh, I was through a couple of sources told that the CISAS was speaking to um, uh, members of parliament to brief them on security challenges. One of the things I had heard through the grapevine was MPs were frustrated because there weren't there wasn't a lot of specific intel, a lot of broad sort of commentary, broad issues that they should be concerned about, nothing specific. Uh, Mr. Stewart spoke to, I said, uh, to Mike Smith this morning, about, and he talked about CSIS contacting him before the 2022 election. Take a listen to what he had to say. CSIS had contacted me at, at the mayor's office to, and asked me to meet. I met with them, and they spent about two hours telling me generally about what foreign interference uh, looks like in local politics 
asking me a ton of questions about, you know, had I noticed any suspicious activity? And I asked CSIS, why did you contact me? And they said, we've been gathering all this information that's concerning, and they've been sending it up the chain, and nobody's paying any attention. Um, I did tell them finally that, you know, this meeting would be uh, the public would know I've had this meeting because my calendar is public and what should I say? And they didn't have any suggestions, but did not at all seem alarmed that this would become public. Uh, are you surprised by that response uh, in regards to national security and the conversation we're having now that they, you know, they had a broad conversation with it, but there was nothing specific in regards to stay away from these four individuals or these five organizations, nothing like that. Yes, that's exactly fundamentally the problem. The legislation prohibits CSIS from being able to talk about any Canadian national. Um, And uh, they're very limited in their scope in terms of legislation of what they can and cannot say. And so uh, these briefings that CSIS did with Kennedy Stewart are very similar to the briefings they do with MPs and MLAs now. And it really just is a primer on what foreign interference is and the things to look for. Um, uh, But the fact that, again... There's no mechanism to share that information should be of great concern to everybody. But this isn't just about meddling in elections. This is about meddling in the uh, day-to-day responsibilities of government. For example, on November 7th, Ken Sim and the entire council were sworn in. They took an oath of office. It's the bare minimum standard for security clearance uh, or security clearing that that, that, that you can do. On that same day, I became his chief of staff. No one did a criminal background check on me. No one did a foreign interference check on me. I didn't have to submit any uh, conflict of interest papers that the councillors and the mayor did, but yet I have access to all the most sensitive documents the city has, and I get to participate in all the in-camera meetings. And that goes the same for the entire civil service in the city of Vancouver and the entire civil servants in the province of British Columbia. And that should be a concern. There needs to be a mechanism where provincial and municipal governments and political parties can receive uh, information that are relevant to protecting our sovereignty. We are speaking to Kareem Alam. He is a principal at Fairview uh, Strategies, a former chief of staff to the mayor of Vancouver, Ken Sam. We're talking about uh, foreign interference and what we need to do to uh, protect ourselves. And, uh, and our conversation has so far been around ceases, around political parties uh, as well. One of the things I do want to talk about, and we will get to your call, so be patient out there. I know a lot of you folks want to uh, ask Kareem a couple of questions. In regards to the third party, uh, uh, just uh, involvement, uh, in, and even donations. Uh, you know, today the law is you can write a check for I think it's about one thousand two hundred fifty per year. That's a check you can write. But the art conversation has always been that with this foreign interference, a consulate uh, could find ten people who agree with them, and you say all of you write a check to that candidate. We're going to support them, and we will pay you the money behind the scenes in cash. How do we work around that? Our finance laws. Uh, really need to be tightened up when it comes to third parties. Um, So there are severe restrictions on how political parties can take money in and how they can spend it. So there's a donation cap, but there's also a spending cap when it comes to elections. But if you want to donate to a third party group, it could be an activist group, it could be just a not-for-profit group, they have the ability to take in unlimited amounts of money. They can take a million-dollar check, a $2 million check, And they have no spending cap as long as they don't spend that money on advertising during an election period. So we know, and it's documented, that there are millions of dollars a year pouring in from the U.S. to stop pipeline development in Canada. We also know there's millions of dollars a year pouring into 
support pipeline development in Canada. So it's happening on both the left, center, and right of the political spectrum. And this is a huge gaping hole in terms of foreign interference. Now, these Americans that are donating to these Canadian third-party groups, they're not state actors. This isn't being directed by Joe Biden or anyone at Washington, no. D.C. So foreign interference for it to be bad doesn't mean it has to come from, it doesn't have to be state-sponsored. Mm-hmm. It can be individually sponsored, it can be sponsored by billionaires, it could be, it could be corporate-sponsored as well. And we need to plug up the third-party rules for sure. Okay. Uh, let's go to our calls, uh, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell phone. Let's go to Jesse in Coquitlam. Hi, Jesse. Hi there, Jess. Thanks for uh, having me on today. Uh, long-time listener here. Uh, with respect to what's going on with uh, the uh, assumed legislation that might be uh, permissible, um, I know that Canada is not the only country that is in hot water with respect to uh, foreign interference. Uh, and in response to this, uh, what the Australians have done is they've instituted the legislation that prevents third-party or uh, foreign uh, interference. Uh, uh, from what I also understand, they're looking into stopping all political donations from international figures. And it seems like this is a, perhaps a good opportunity in order to stop the situation, at least on a political level here. But we're not taking into consideration, it almost seems like, uh, the, the, the cause before the effect here. Uh, I think it was Dr. Brady's uh, out of New Zealand, another country that is in a uh, difficult situation, uh, said that there are different wings of the uh, uh, Communist Party of China, such as the United Front, and what they have is a few different situations where they'll use uh, expatriates from the People's Republic of China. Yeah. Jesse, thank you for your call. I think we got your point there. Uh, Jesse raises a very good point in regards to Australia and New Zealand. Australia is a great model, I would think, to having a country with a spine that is pushback, similar in size, does a lot of trade with China, but it hasn't been afraid to say enough is enough. Uh, recently, we saw uh, uh, sort of a, 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 a intelligent sharing converse, uh, uh, agreement between the UK, Australia, New Zealand, United States, but not Canada. Why do you think that was? Well, I think one of the reasons why Canada was excluded from that agreement is because we don't actually have a real national security apparatus. CSIS is an extremely well-regarded organization, but they don't have the legislative tools to do their jobs. And these fine men and women that work for CSIS deserve Canadian support in getting that legislation. But the reason why I think we were excluded from the deal wasn't because people don't think CSIS can do the job. It's because they know that CSIS doesn't have a mandate to do the job. So everyone's going to share information with us. But we don't have an intelligence agency that can share information with them. And you look at the United States with its various security agencies, even the UK with MI5, MI6, it's at a different level than Canada, right? We've sort of been sleepwalking into this uh, this issue, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate. We've got about 30 seconds, but I want to get you on. Uh, Tony, uh, go ahead. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jazz. I have a question for you, uh, you know, as far as political interference is going. What about these police stations that have uh, been found in Vancouver and in Toronto and probably many other places? What's CSIS's role in extinguishing them, or is that purely a, a Trudeau has to finally come clean and say that he's had political interference and then can be extinguished? Creed, what do you think about that? I mean, it's a bit speculative, but I, I understand. Thanks for the question. It is a good question. Uh, would the U- could you imagine the U.S. or the U.K. allowing Chinese police stations on their soil? This could never happen anywhere other than in Canada. And every Canadian should be outraged by the fact that a foreign government is setting up police stations in Canada. But again, CSIS can gather the information, can know what's happening, but they don't have the authority to stop it. 
and we need to update the legislation. I sound like a broken record, but we need to update that legislation to give those people the right, the power, and the authority to shut things down as they're happening and not wait months and months and months for eventually the RCMP to be able to get to it. Yeah, it's taken many years to get here. It's frustrating, but I'm glad we're at least are having this conversation. It's very, very, very important, and hopefully it leads to, to some positive change. Folks, sorry I couldn't get all of you on. Please call our buzz line 604-331-2899. do want to hear from you in regards to foreign interference and what should be done. Kareem, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me, Jess. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Now, if you've been listening to this show and many of our programs here at CKNW, we've been making, uh, there have been a lot of stories on spending announcements from the provincial government. Think about the $1 billion Growing Communities Fund uh, that the province made available to all uh, municipalities in our province. Uh, Surrey, of course, has talked about using that money to perhaps reduce their proposed uh, property tax increases. Uh, there have been um, uh, other amounts of dollars for the TransLink system, of course, that needed the dollars uh, because they're still having difficulty with uh, riders, uh, climate action task, tax credit. That's a lot of money to spend because the fiscal year end is actually the end of March. And our next uh, guest uh, just crunched the numbers and he estimates that the provincial government has about $2 billion in sur- surplus funds still left of that $5.7 billion, And they could potentially spend it over the next 10 days. And if it isn't spent, it uh, ends, of course, uh, going towards the debt. So we, I thought it was a good time to have a conversation about where should that money go and talk a little bit about where the money has gone uh, as well. Rob Shaw is a political correspondent for Czech News. He joins us now. Rob, thank you for speaking to us today. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Uh, I was reading your uh, article, a uh, fascinating piece on just the no- amount of money that's been spent and what has been left. So just to confirm here, uh, with the numbers that you've crunched here, there's about roughly $2 billion in surplus funds still left for the next 10 days uh, for the provincial government? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like trying to capture water with your hands, figuring out where government is at on this, because the number that we've been using, the big surplus number of almost $5.7 billion, that's an old number. And in fact, the surplus species tracking for is likely larger than that. Uh, I'm, you know, we don't know exactly how much, but I, I'm thinking just based on the numbers that we've seen so far, at least a billion, two billion dollars more. So you have to kind of first subtract from the original surplus estimate and then add on this extra money. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm fairly confident that BC's two to three billion dollars uh, in additional surplus money that's just kind of there right now. Uh, that is unspent. That's after spending around $4.6 billion. So there's a lot of money, like an unprecedented amount of money. We've never seen a government spend this amount of money this quickly in fewer than four months with 11 days, 10 days left. 
and another couple billion lying around, that's, uh, that is a spend-a-palooza for sure. That's, that's more of a Mike Smith line, uh, spend-a-palooza. I could just hear him saying it out loud. But, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. Uh, if they wanted to spend that money, is it even possible to spend that money in 10 days? I don't think so. No, I think we're going to see a lot of money go on the provincial debt. Like, the government's had to create, in some ways, new structures to funnel this cash out the door as fast as it can. We don't know where all of it's kind of really going. We conceptually know that there are amounts going to different organizations, but how they spend it, kind of almost up to them in a way. Government isn't putting audit provisions or clawback provisions in any of this money. It's just off the books and out it goes. So I I don't see how they'd spend another $2 billion in 10 days. Uh, I think we will instead see some several billions of dollars go on to the provincial debt, which is what happens by law for whatever's not spent by March uh, 31st. And I, and I guess the government, the way they've been spending, these are all one-offs because they don't want to create a bureaucracy where they would lead to uh, new permanent costs that are built into the into, into the budget. These are one-offs where you rent, sent grants, as we were saying earlier in the intro, uh, to communities so they can build, uh, you know, playgrounds and, 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 and uh, roads and sidewalks and those types of things. These are all one-offs that they don't really want to add to the budget for future years. Yeah, and it makes it frustrating for folks who are listening to this who are thinking, well, why can't we use some of this massive amount of money to raise, say, the disability rate or the social assistance rate? And that's because government might be able to use it this year, but next year it has to come up with the hundreds of millions of dollars for that again. That's the ongoing operating cost. And this is one-time money that is coming from basically an adjustment on tax revenue outside of the pandemic. So the government's spending it instead on grants to municipalities, money um, to handle, uh, you know, the different uh, economic credits and ferry bailout and TransLink bailout, things like that. So, yeah, a lot of people, I think, would prefer to see it spent, you know, over more than just a few months. But our accounting system doesn't work like that. And I've sort of hypothesized maybe we should kick around, is there a way to put some of this money aside in a fund, like Alberta has a heritage fund, Mm -hmm. and then draw back on it in future years? But as been pointed out to me, that sounds good, but then what about in a future year when a government's running a deficit, and instead of recording that deficit, they pull some money out of this fund and say, hey, we balance the budget, and it gets used for political purposes, not for funding. Anyways, it goes on and on. But the point being, this is one-time money, and it frustrates, I think, some people that you can't use it for ongoing improvements to yeah. the social safety net. Well, I think if, as long as you share the information, which I think you'd be obligated to do, look, we got this uh, fund set aside for a rainy day fund. I think the, the NDP in the 90s called the, I think it was the Budget Stabilization yes, right. Fund with the acronym the BS, BS fund. fund, the BS <laughs> Fund. But you could at least put it towards, let's say, if you have a, a deficit of a billion dollars, you have to set aside that money. And I think people, would, people, families do that. I'm not sure why why, why um, governments could, couldn't do that. I guess partially the NDP is doing this uh, because it's ideology, but also I think they've probably learned a lesson from the BC Liberals who went into the 2017 election with a, a $2.7 billion surplus and decided not to spend enough of it in regards to uh, many issues that were um, you know, at the forefront for people, specifically those in the Valley who somehow had to pay a toll to get over a bridge while others didn't. Yeah, and the, the lesson from 2017 is that you know, you can, um, as the old expression goes, I think, cut off your nose to spite your face when it comes to official management in, in government, where, yes, you you look like you are doing quite well with a surplus at the end of the year. But when people are struggling with their own pocketbooks, they expect government to do something with that money to help them. And so that's why the NDP is blowing this out the door, because instead, 
to pay the debt down. And we have an enormous debt, by the by the way. But to pay the provincial debt down by, let's say, you know, six, seven, eight billion dollars instead of spending any of this money, um, I think people would go, wait a second, <laughs> we need some we need some assistance. Clearly, there's something you could do with this money to help us. It's just a question of whether it's what people want to see. Now, final question to you: uh, there were, They had said there would be deficits for the next three years, but. Even that, I would guess, uh, with uh, you know a slight revenue change, those all could be. There's a lot of forecasts in there. There's money set aside. I mean, uh, th- those could, that could certainly for next year that could be a balanced budget. It could be. It's a we're we're gonna uh, kind of like slingshot from a spend a palooza here, and then at the end of March, so next week, uh, the week after that, we are into a deficit budget of four. I think point two billion dollars is the projected deficit. The difference is that we may be headed into a recession. We may see a, a slowing of revenue in government, and they may not be able to make a, that deficit money up. But you look, like the last few years, we have consistently seen a government, all governments of all stripes, record better than expected year-end financial results and then claim its great fiscal management. And I think that $4.2 billion deficit, the NDP will be hoping to claim is much, much, much smaller by the time uh, next year's books end this time next year. <laughs> It'll be a fascinating uh, time, certainly in politics. Rob, thanks for your time. Anytime. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Fashion. 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 She's always my plus one. Now, the Jazz Joe Hall Show continues on 980 CKNW. Hey, welcome back to the show. Well, let's just picture this for a moment. Yesterday, we did a story, of course, on the uh, Nordstrom uh, liquidation sale across this country. Uh, uh, you know, fashionistas and those who want a good deal uh, were waiting for this liquidation sale. And the judge, of course, uh, an Ontario judge approved it. Uh, and it was supposed to begin today. So everybody that was looking for a deal or perhaps wanted to just interested in the fashion were hoping to go to Nordstrom's today. And as I said uh, prior to the news, I dropped by for five minutes, just get a sense of what the crowd is like. Lots of people there. I'm told there was a lineup to get in uh, today. There were even TV crews outside ready to uh, document all the action. And we also send our producers, Ryan Lee Hall and Stephen Chang, both went to the liquidation sale, day one of the liquidation sale, and they join me now. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Jazz. What's up, Jazz? <laughs> you know, you tell me. Now, you guys are there. The crowds are ready. Lineups, TV crews outside. This was an event for the ages. Tell me what you saw. It's the Super Bowl of Shoppers, Jazz. The first day of the Nordstrom <laughs> liquidation sale. And uh, you know what? For liquidation, we'd expect big sales, yeah. massive price drops. But you know what? When we got there this morning, Jazz, we were kind of displeased with what we saw. So Ryan and I created this ad to try to make the sale a bit more exciting than it really was. Oh, let's see. Nordstrom, downtown Vancouver. Liquidation sale, now! How much can you save? 5%. 
Shirts, shoes, 5%. Pants, 5%. You can save so much money with 5%. The flavor, some exclusions apply. No returns or exchanges allowed after March 18, 2023. Limited time on. 5%. 5%? 5%. 5%. 5%. 5%. That's what they were offering all those folks who were lining up. And you guys are there, the TV cameras, everybody's there. Uh, all the hype, 5%. Mm-hmm. Jazz, it's paid. Uh, you know, even though it's payday, even though people get raises... 5% is all we get. This is all we get from Nordstrom. And it's not like uh, this stuff is cheap. I mean, this is higher-end stuff as well. You're not talking about a, a $50 shirt. You're talking about a shirt that could be four or $500. Exactly. Like as we were talking about yesterday, that 800 and whatever it was, $30 golf shirt that was on sale for 132 <laughs> <laughs> With the five percent, it's probably going down to what 120, 122? What were people like? You guys were there. Uh, like, what was the reaction from the public? Uh, you know, there were like there were people. It was a lot busier than it was yesterday. Uh, but uh, like, I didn't really see too many people buying anything. There's a lot of people looking, probably trying to find that deal, but just really not not really a whole lot of you know shoppers out there with you know lining up to pay for their items. Uh, Stephen and I, of course, we did do a little bit of shopping ourselves, yes, and we did. Uh, you know, kind of get our reaction as we were going through. Why don't we just take a listen to this right here? That's so sad. Five percent. What a rip. You really want something in mind? Yeah, no, not at five percent. I was gonna start at like ten or twenty, but five percent. Yeah. Want to see if your jacket? I feel like we should go back to that side, yeah, because I feel like that's where it's really at. Who's touching my jacket? You got moved. <laughs> it's right here. So it's one ninety. So it doesn't really. Yeah. So it's just the additional five percent on top of that. Nine dollars fifty cents. Okay, so it's basically one eighty fifty cents. Okay, so I say ten dollars on this jacket. Yeah. I mean, it's still them. It's still expensive. I'm not getting this at one eighty, man. So we're off to an underwhelming start. Oh, shoes. We should look at the shoes. Ultra Boost 260. So 5% off of 260. Not worth it. If you want Ultra Boost, go to the South Surrey Adidas store. 110 bucks or less. Yeah, this 5% isn't having it for me. Yeah. If you do want to top something at Nordstrom, I would say wait. Yeah. But just keep waiting. Like, I know the selection might not be there after, but do you really want to only have 5% off? They got to get rid of the stuff. Yeah. So, but I'm starting to notice too that some stuff over there in the suit section is 20% off. So we're seeing 5% off for most items, but there seem to be signs for 20% off now. Yeah. And the dress wear for men's. Oh. So suits are 20% off. 1,145 dollars for a suit jacket. And that's 20% off that. Yeah. And what brand is this? Ted, Ted Baker. Baker. Okay. So again, if you are planning on coming down, I'd probably wait a week. Wait a week. At least a week. Yeah. Oh, Adidas. Adidas? Yeah. Wait. Adidas suit jacket. It is. What? It's the Balenciaga collab. But why is this a suit? Would you wear this? I would. No. I probably would. I mean, the shirts are nice. Steven. What? It's $4,000. $4,250. Oh my God. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope. No. no. $4,000 nope. yeah. for an Adidas 4, blazer, a Balenciaga blazer? A uh, Balenciaga Adidas class. So essentially it looks like a black suit jacket with the three Adidas stripes on the shoulders. On a blazer? Yeah, on a blazer. That's a collab of some sort. Yes, a collab, yeah. It was oh 5%, my. Jazz. 5%, 5% off deduction of 4, on that. Yeah. What a steal. 
It's ridiculous. 5%. 5%. 5%. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's 20, 25% people get interested. And then, of course, the, the better deals from there. But 5%, come on. Yeah, I mean, I think sort of, like, personally, I'd probably wait till around, you know, 25, 30%, 35%. I assume as we kind of go along here, it's going to get better and better and better. Yeah. Um, I did manage to find something, though. Like, I did make a purchase. I had to go back down. Yeah. And when I bought a pair of pants. Okay. Now, the pants were regular 80 bucks. This was on sale prior to the liquidation. I got it for forty, so I got that's it for half price. Not bad at all. Yeah, yeah not bad at all. That's what we want to hear. But it, it's it, those deals are few and far between right now. Yeah, I mean, there's some things like again that jacket that Stephen was trying to find yesterday. He was looking at it. He tried it on. It was regular. Was it eight hundred something on sale for one ninety? And uh, eight hundred or four hundred. That was four hundred. Four hundred. So 400. it's a four hundred dollar jacket. It's on now for one hundred ninety. Okay. So you found something. We found it in the morning again. We found it yesterday. <laughs> we went back. We found it in the morning. We still left it because it wasn't worth it. Yeah. And when I went back at around two o'clock to buy my pants, I could not find that jacket anymore. Jazz. I I'm told thinking, you, so Stephen. I said buy it. Like gone. why do you gotta wait for another five ten percent? You already got the the deal. And you got to wear something to go to the Drake concert. Where you're going to pay five hundred dollars for a ticket or whatever. You got to look good, right? If you're going to pay, gone, Jeff. Uh, well, that's the problem. I told you, you just had to not buy it for that extra five or ten percent. That's what happens. Do not hesitate. Just buy it. So that's my advice to you. But, gentlemen, thank you so much. I'm hoping by next week you guys uh, get more deals down there. I really do. Well, let's hope so. I'm going to try to find something else tomorrow. <laughs> 100%. I'm still going to go probably every day. 100%, Ryan, or 5%? 5%. <laughs> 5%. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. That's Ryan LaHall and Stephen Chang, our producers who spent some time in Nordstrom's today. So if you are looking for a deal, it's only 5%, as they said. But let's hope in the days and weeks ahead uh, that, uh, uh, you know, turns to 20, 25, 30%. Uh, the kind of deals we're all looking for. Hey, Hey folks, you're listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Stick around. Your buzz line calls are next. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m., on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.